In this podcast, I'm going to talk about the measurements of Ezekiel's temple. And the reason I'm going to talk about this is to clear up every bit of confusion that anyone's ever had. Ezekiel's temple is a really interesting temple. And one of the things that's interesting about it is that uh, the prophet Ezekiel had a vision of it. And in the vision, Ezekiel saw two things simultaneously and also at different times. This whole thing is visions, but God in the visions brought Ezekiel to the land of Israel. So what Ezekiel has here is three things. First, in a vision a long time ago. Secondly, in the vision, Ezekiel sees that he'll be brought to the future. And the third thing is in the future, this temple will be built. Now you need to know that the prophet Ezekiel, he lived a long time ago. During the time of King Jehoiakim. And in the Bible, all the kings like Solomon They, uh, they'd already died, the ones that built the temples. King Jehoiakim was a uh, king in Israel, according to Wikipedia, about the year 6th century BC. But he died in Babylon, it says, according to the Wikipedia article. Now, that's important because... Reading the Bible is not the same as reading Wikipedia. What we get from the Bible is just this temple vision. And God makes it really clear about the measurements of the temple. Ezekiel's supposed to show the measures. And, uh... This is a really important verse that explains the rest of the measurements. God said to Ezekiel to uh, show them the measures of it, of the temple. Now this will be really important because it will explain the temple prophecy also. It will all make clear sense. said to Ezekiel, shew the house to the house of Israel that they may be ashamed of their iniquities and let them measure the pattern. Now the reason it's supposed to measure the pattern is it's supposed to be made after other patterns of a perfect house. And the reason is every time they made a temple, they made it all crooked and clunky and fucking weird looking. They were real uh, slack in their measurements. They're like, oh, well, it's supposed to be 20 feet. Let's just make it 16. And it'd be too short here, too long there, too high, fucking collapsing. There were breaches in the old temple because of uh, poor measurements. It wasn't measured to the 16th of an inch like a modern carpenter. Because they didn't give a fuck about the temple. But here he also said of their iniquities. When you build a house, it needs to be square. And when they see these measurements, they can understand things. So I'm going to tell you what some of these measurements are now.
The first thing they do in the book of Ezekiel is they use a measuring reed. God makes it really clear. When you measure, you use a standard measurement, not your opinion. When they used to use a cubit, they would use a different cubit because every man had a different length arm. It goes from his elbow to the fingertip of his middle finger. But they'd, they'd measure cubits and a short guy would have a short cubit, a tall guy would have a long cubit. So here he says, use a standard reed that's six cubits long, but also a hand breadth. It's a greater reed. And that's a prophecy that in the future, things will get greater and greater for them. Here first, the temple, later their city and their kingdom. But if they, only if they measure things and build them correctly. If they build things like shit, their kingdom's going to look like shit. Even if they get a better design, better wood, better gold, more wood, more gold, more nails, they're still going to build it like shit. Now you guys want this to be all holy and uh, Bible sounding, but the truth is they measure things in a clumsy way. And the reality is if they go on and they start measuring things in this clumsy way, it's never going to get better for them. Their houses will all be crooked. And when you have iniquity, your thinking is crooked. And you should be ashamed. Iniquity is stuff that sickens you. Even before you do it, you feel sickened. Like when you think to rape a child, to rape someone else's young virgin wife, or to murder an innocent man. That's iniquity when you feel sickened. So in the future, Ezekiel is supposed to be there when the temple's built. This is a later temple, but it never gets built. It's supposed to be built in the future. This is the temple that the Antichrist is supposed to sit in. There's more iniquity for you. They're supposed to build it for God and they're building it for the Antichrist. So then this man comes and Ezekiel sees him. Now Ezekiel's supposed to talk about this. Ezekiel dies, goes to heaven, and the whole house of Israel is there. So Ezekiel's supposed to talk about this. That's verse 4 of chapter 40. For the last 2,600 years, Ezekiel was supposed to talk to the house of Israel about this. So they'd understand when they build things, they build them straight according to measurements, and then it looks good. But if they build it crooked, it's going to look stupid. And so when that whole house of Israel is raised from the dead, that's Ezekiel 37, the King David's king over the prophet Ezekiel and everyone else that ever lived there, including Moses. They're warned not to build it to the Antichrist. but to build it right. And they think they're greater than God, but they can't even build a building with straight walls with the proper measurement. Now God makes it easy for them. In the, uh, in verse five, this guy measures a bunch of little buildings. Uh, he measures walls. Let's go to verse 5. He measures a wall. And the wall is one reed. It's just a long stick. 
and this guy uses the same stick the whole time. This building has a wall that's one stick long and one stick high. I mean, that's fucking easy. God makes it real easy for them to build the temple. The problem is when you build something like this, when you, when you build it, if you put a post down and it's a one reed tall, then when you build it, you put the, the wall on and the roof, they're gonna put another piece of wood on top because they don't know how to do Japanese wood joinery. They don't know how to use dowels. And so it's gonna be too tall. They're gonna build it wrong because they don't know that when you put wood on top of something, it's too tall. So if you take a big beam that's six inches wide, six inches wide the other measure, and six cubits tall plus a hand breadth, we put wood on it, now it's taller. It's a taller wall. So God made it easy for them, but they still have to know something about building houses when they build this. It's like Lincoln logs. You keep stacking them up and it gets taller. Now this reed is taller than most men. It's six cubits tall, plus a hand breadth. So that's about nine feet, four inches tall. That's a big house, big enough for one man to go in there and do something. Now these houses aren't a place for them to live, but they can put a bed in there if they want. It's a place for them to cook and eat food and shit like that. And so it's stuff to do at the temple. This is part of the temple complex. It's kind of like if you have a library, but outside you have an outside bathroom and you also have a shed and you also have a place for storing more books. You put a bunch of other buildings. Maybe you put one in there that has a little coffee in it, like a little coffee shop. Well, if it's nine feet tall, it's bigger than most drive-through coffee shops. And at the temple, they're going to be doing stuff. So these little rooms called houses are room, rooms where they can do stuff. And if they work all day and get tired, they can just sleep right there. It's fine. It's called a house. They're not breaking the rules. Because they're going to be real afraid to break the rules at the temple because God will be there. Now next, there's a... gates now a gate wide enough for a man to walk through might just be the size of a door that's about three feet but these gates are about nine feet nine feet four inches that's one reed measurement so they're big gates so god makes it easy one reed now for people that are mathematicians if you look at the symmetry of this and draw it and look at the measures you can find mathematical symmetry really similar to uh what are those things that are, if you do the parabolic formula, fractals? It's real similar to fractals with simple numbers. But all fractals can be made with simple numbers. Now, he gets to more complicated measurements now, cubits. They know how to find a cubit. It's about 18 inches plus a hand breadth. For the, for the read, it's six cubits, so you just take six measurements of it. Now you know what a cubit is. And so we're close. You, you minus the hand breadth. And so they can use that standard cubit to measure anything that's a cubit. That's not complicated. That's 18 inches. Any carpenter can do it. But because they're building it for the Antichrist, the Antichrist is going to tell them to use different measurements. He doesn't have any of his own ideas. So he tries to just change things that God said. He's like, well, if it's a cubit, try a cubit plus a little more or a little less. Lucifer thinks if you add more, 
that it's bigger and better than God did. The Antichrist thinks if you make it less, then it's different. And that's their ideas. That's all they got. If you do it what God said, it's really simple measurements. Again, a little later, it gets a little bit more complicated. Now you get six cubits on this side and six cubits on that side. That's verse 12. Now we took away the hand breadth. Now it's real simple. When they mark it out for survey, they uh, measure with the reed. They take a hand breadth measurement away from it and they're done. That's really easy. So what you see here is stuff that's actually easy to do. Now in the future, the Messiah is gonna come. And he's not some fuck around like Jesus that just wanders around and sleeps in the street. The Messiah is gonna bring holographic technology, infinite energy machines, and he might just lay out the whole survey with a hologram. They don't even have to do a survey staking or measurements. And he might get real angry at him and say, you can build it according to the hologram. Or if you want to build it for the Antichrist, you can die right here. Because the Antichrist prophecy doesn't have to be fulfilled. What needs to be done is evil needs to be removed from the earth and there needs to be a place for people to live a good life. So now if they build this thing correctly and then they measure it, they can learn the measures and realize it's built perfectly when the Messiah does it. Because he's not some dumb fuck around that wants the temple torn down like Jesus. Now when you look at this, you start to get things drawn on it like engraving palm trees and cherubim. Now the reason there's cherubim drawn is because cherubim can turn invisible, but they're supposed to guard the temple. So it's a reminder for the cherubim to keep doing their fucking job. Like a lot of God's children, even cherubim rebel. Cherubim are like Marines. They're supposed to guard and they like doing it, but they don't always obey God. The palm trees are there to represent peace. It takes a long time for a palm tree to grow big. And when it's there, there can be peace the whole life. also a reminder that came from the desert the desert of Abraham but in the future if they obey God it might be called the paradise of Abraham and all of Saudi Arabia might be turned into a paradise like in the movies like in the end of the mummy movie filled with green lush plants and trees but like the cherubim they need to guard the borders of the promised land from enemies Now here, a long time ago, 
Israel started choosing alternatives to what God had to offer. And they decided they wanted to be priests that offer sacrifices instead of priests that speak God's word and speak of uh, the things that priests speak of. They chose to not do things priests do. Angels know how to do this, but they, um, they didn't want to do it that way. So they wanted to be weird priests that put goat's blood on bull's horns on big tables where there's fire fat. Israel's weird as fuck. So God said, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it in a way that makes some sense, I guess. I don't really like this part of it, but a lot of the Jews are really interested in the sacrifice. If you're looking to kill a goat or a lamb hoping that it'll save you from hell, it will never save you. If you're a murderer, you're going to burn. If you're a rapist, you're going to burn. That whole temple could be a place that's filled with music and happiness. Where they might see God Almighty in the flesh. And where they might say, Jesus, you told the apostles to tell us no man hath seen God. But in the future, we're all going to see God in the flesh. That's a fact. So the temple could just be a place of real joy. God might go there first. He might go other places. There might be a lot of temples. They don't have to be a place where they put goat's blood on bull horns. That's fucking weird, man. Now this temple, if you ever are given the ability to see visions of the future, is a temple that is built in the future in what I call a first timeline. But what, what's really going to happen is things are going to be a bit different than what's written in the Bible. Um, it gets a little tricky, but in the future, men are brought back in time to repent of their sin. And they see the earth and the temple. and It's men that in a million years are still doing the same sins. So God brings them back. For God, that's easy. He doesn't need a spaceship or anything. Just do it. It's power. And uh, when they come back, he says, look at how this all started. Your sin started right here. But when men start coming back from the future, what happens is the future starts to change. And that becomes a separate timeline. And so a lot of these things written in the book of Ezekiel aren't going to come to pass exactly as it is written. It says here that the prince eats bread before the Lord every day, twice per day. That doesn't have to happen. So here on the next chapter, 41, we see the cherubims and the palm trees. You can read it on verse 18. Now cherubim do not have four faces. Uh, two faces is what's written. Four faces are for the beasts uh, in the book of Revelation chapter, uh, I think it's four or five or both. But um, it's supposed to mean they look this way and that way. They look both directions. They don't just stand around idly. They guard. But also, they're so fucking fast that when you look at them, they're a blur. You might see this. And sometimes there might be two cherubim crossing directions. And for a brief, brief moment, it looks like one of them has two heads. So there's a lot of wisdom teachings we can get from this about guarding and paying attention and God's creation. But it's, it's not worth teaching until you see a cherubim for the first time. And that's what's going to happen at the temple. There's going to be a bunch of cherubim there guarding the place. 
Once you see them, then you can get the wisdom teachings. It doesn't make sense to do it yet. Now, the altar here is called a table. Now, what Israel chose to do is put blood and fat on it and burn it. But what, you, what else can you do on a table before the Lord? You can drink wine and eat bread. And you can say, God, thanks for the wine. You made wine. You made the grapes. Thanks for the bread. And my, my glass is filling up. And I know in time it'll overflow with blessings and other things that are good. So you can actually eat and drink at a table. But for some reason, Israel wants to burn a fire on it day and night. So no one can put food or wine on it. So in the future, when the Messiah gets there, he might say, if you dumb motherfuckers want to go the wrong way, one temple is going to be where we can eat and drink before the Lord and thank him for all that he's given us. We, he might even talk to us and stand right in front of us. We might listen to Buster Rhymes. There might be a party in front of the temple with God's children that he loves. And another temple where they burn on the fire for some weird fucking reason. And a third temple for the Antichrist. And we'll see which is the temple everyone wants to go to. The one for the Antichrist might be the one everyone turns away from on day one. And if he goes to sit there, he might be all alone with no army. The second one might be the one where the dumb fucks in Israel go to do witchcraft. Trying to make witches brews with goat's blood and bull's horns and lamb fat and lamb kidneys. That's fucking weird, man. But if I say to believers, come stand before the table of God. The Messiah is here. And if you do what I say, you'll see the almighty God stand right in, front, right in front of you. That might be the temple that the whole world comes to. And they might ask their father every question. So in Ezekiel 41, they call it an altar. But this man says, this is the table. Israel chose to turn it into an altar for burning kidneys. That's what they did in Moses' days. You can read it in the uh, books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Numbers and shit like that. Now, when you have a table, you can eat and drink. When you have an altar, you can speak. Just like, it's kind of similar to church, but not the same. You don't have to preach. So at this altar, we might talk about days past. Things God did that we liked or things that happened in the earth that were good. At the altar, we can speak any good words. So this is a place just like a table where a family, God's children, Him, our Father, can all stand together and speak just like at dinner time. Now over here, what we're looking at in chapter 42... There's a whole bunch of measures. And what God shows in the last verse is when it's profane, we just make a line. If you're going to go over there and tell weird jokes, do it over there. When you come here, just don't say anything filthy. See, if you're out in the world and then you go to work and you come back to your house, your neighbor's like leaning over the fence. He's like, hey, did you see my wife bend over? That's profane. Don't talk like that about her. We don't talk about our wife that way. And then someone walks down the road right in front of you, gives you the middle finger and says, fuck you. You don't even know him. Some weird fucking hobo. 
We don't do that in the sanctuary. But one day you might say, you know, I just want a fucking sanctuary from all this evil. So you go to the ocean with your kids and it's fun. You have a nice little sanctuary. The temple of God can be like that, a sanctuary from the evil of the world. You get back to your house, your neighbor wife is trying to fuck your husband. We want a sanctuary from that. And that's what the temple of God is supposed to be and everywhere around it. When we get to 43, God makes it real clear that he's going to come in from the east. This is a prophecy of the future. And what it means is when he comes from the east, he has wrath and he's going to hurt someone. But one day he might come in another way. And if he comes in another way, maybe the destruction won't be so bad. So this is a prophecy about God having anger at his children in the earth. And then he says here real clear that there's only two that can come through here. Messiah the Prince and the Almighty God. Because Messiah the Prince is the only one that doesn't make God angry. But if anyone else tries to come in that way, God might hurt them. See, if you're worthy one day, Messiah the Prince will take you in the East Gate. And he'll say, let's eat your bread. And then he might take you in the temple and you might see the Almighty God. You might be protected by Messiah the Prince and God might not hurt you. But if some wicked sinner like the false prophet wants to go in, God's going to hurt the fuck out of him. That's the reality. If some rapist or child molester, pedophile tries to come in the East Gate, God's going to hurt him. He's not coming through. But he can come through like everyone else. Now, the North and South Gate are to teach him about repentance. When they come in and they pray, they go out, they keep walking straight ahead. So if they come in through the South Gate, they're looking north. They walk in, they pray, and they keep going north until they're done. They do not repent. See, a lot of you, when you go to pray before God, you repent partway through your prayer. Maybe that's why God doesn't answer you every time. Maybe when you think to pray, you don't do it. But God says when you walk in His gates, you can walk all the way through. Walk to the center where the temple is, make your prayer, sing your song, maybe drink some wine at the table, maybe hear God speak, and then you keep on walking north. You don't repent of hearing God and seeing Him. You don't turn around and go the other way. So it's to teach you a lesson about repentance. Now I said there's two timelines. What happened in the first timeline is this went on for more than 6,000 years, finally a temple that's never torn down. The Antichrist sits there, sure, but then God kicks him out and he never sits there again. That's Revelation 19, the last verses. There, it's the Antichrist and the remnant. That's what that, those verses mean for everyone that might go look it up later. But back to this topic. What happened is angels and men and women in the earth came this way, but they never learned. Jesus was here in the millennial reign of Christ, but they never learned. And so it was a complete waste to teach you guys this lesson about repentance. You guys became so rebellious, you never learned. So it's going to be a lot different this round. This is round two. It's going to be the Messiah's way or no way. If you're a four-year-old girl that wants to see your Heavenly Father, you are invited. If you're a five-year-old boy that likes to run fast and 
carry a stick and swing it around? Come on in. God loves children that love his creation. If you want to come in and tell your father, I saw a bird. Come right, right in. He might talk to you for an hour, little girl. That little boy comes in and says, I saw a turtle. God might talk to that boy for an hour. But you older men and women, you get real rebellious or stubborn or something. So when you come, don't be a dick. Don't start insulting God, accusing him, saying his temple's too expensive. The gold on the temple is supposed to show you about your future, that in the future you're going to get a house made of gold that'll stand for 100,000 years and you never have to rebuild it. God gets it first and shows you, you can have one of these too. You could even have it tomorrow, but, but you need knowledge. With knowledge, you can have it. And Messiah the Prince can tell you and show you how. He might even build it for you today. And you might move in tomorrow. But a lot of people came into the temple and they said, God's too rich. Instead of wanting a nice house for themselves, which is not a sin, they accused God of having too much gold. And then they didn't want to admit they were wrong. Now in chapter 44, Messiah the Prince here, he, uh, he's supposed to eat bread before the Lord. And it says here, that when he does it, people might see the glory of God every time. But what happened is he did it the first few times and a bunch of, actually did it every time. And uh, you guys saw the glory of God and became envious of Messiah. He taught you everything, but you didn't listen. That's what happened in the first timeline. So in the second timeline, Messiah the Prince is not going to do it even once. What he's going to do is see if you guys think you're worthy. He's going to put the bread right there. He's going to bring you in the way he chooses. And he's, you guys are going to find out real quick if God strikes you dead. Every one of you that thinks you're worthy to be the Messiah. In the first timeline, Messiah did this a bunch of times. But he rather would have been with uh, God in the temple. So he's just going to go the fuck in the temple whenever he wants now and do whatever the fuck he wants. You guys didn't learn real well in this first timeline. It turned into a disaster so bad that God's bringing men from the future to repent here back in time. Now, this is supposed to be a prophecy of New Jerusalem, but things aren't going to happen that same way either. In the book of Revelation, God talks about New Jerusalem and even if you're a Jew, you know that God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth because that's in the Old Testament. That's right. Find it in your Old Testament, you Jews. And when God makes it, he's going to have a big place. He's already made it for himself. It's called New Jerusalem. He made it as soon as he made uh, heaven and earth. He's been sitting there waiting. But this round, Messiah the Prince doesn't want to wait. He might invite God to just bring it down to the earth. God's going to choose to be here anyways. And it might replace the temple, Ezekiel's temple. The reason we have to wait is we have to wait until the devil's defeated in war. 
So the Messiah, the Prince, might just do that. See, in the first timeline, Messiah, the Prince, thought that we had to wait for the defeat of the devil until God chose. But he's changed his mind. Messiah has decided that the devil can be defeated at any time. He's easy to beat. And so God, God might not do anything, we don't know, but Messiah might beat that motherfucker and the whole armies of the earth. Like a video game when you do conquering like Sid Meier's Civilization and you go out and you conquer everything except for one little house and you let them live. The Messiah might let everyone get defeated except for the devil. So he has no army. And God might bring New Jerusalem straight down from heaven early. In fact, he might come and go on his throne some days. And other days he might come and go in New Jerusalem. The city of God. More than a thousand miles tall. Now, for the rest of the book of Ezekiel, we're in chapter 44. It talks about what to do with the temple. And God's teaching them really simple teachings. Now, part of it is your worldly ideas, but there's a lot more spiritual teachings. He's telling you that it's hard to be holy when you're touching dead bodies all the fucking time. But if you like being holy and you learn how, maybe God will make you even more holy. So just stay away from dead bodies. Stop committing adultery and learn the difference between the holy and the profane. And if you do this you might become holy, like God's holy angels. That's the purpose of these teachings in Ezekiel 44, that all men learn to be holy, and all women. You can all do it. You have equal opportunity. Neither man nor woman has an advantage. Now, for the rest of the book of Ezekiel, He's telling them stuff that they were told to do in the book of Deuteronomy. It's not all written exactly in the same way, but they were supposed to divide the land this way when they first got there, and they never did it. Moses knew it. Joshua and Caleb didn't make it happen. Neither did anyone else in Israel. They divided the land wrong. So God's saying, here, do it the correct way. Now, the truth is, they're all going to get jealous of each other's land because they're old school, and they're not that good at math. And they might think someone else has more land, even if they don't. So the real purpose of this survey, one of those purposes, is that they all get the same amount of land down to an inch. No tribe has even one inch more land. See, the way they did it in the past, they were all envious of each other because they didn't know how much land anyone had. The Messiah might just go measure it with holographic survey equipment with his spaceship and just take a fucking snapshot photograph. He might hire surveyors to go do it on the ground and stake it out where they can write out the measurements and they can write down the math and they'll see exactly how much land everyone has. Now there's one more thing you might have noticed. The prince gets the, um, the rest of the land that they don't choose. Whatever land is left over, they want Messiah the prince to get it. But they didn't want the seashore. Back in the past, Israel had a lot of problems with uh, pirates. 
out on the ocean and they don't want to go on the ocean. They want Messiah to deal with it because they think it's too hard for the Messiah. They didn't know he's going to come with flying cars, infinite energy machines, hovercraft boats, and futuristic technology. Pirates are going to be no problem for him. And so he's going to own the whole ocean forever because they don't want it. The most beautiful piece of land in all of Israel. Now the feasts are supposed to be feasts where we celebrate with family and God is our father. So if we have a whole bunch of meat, we can cut it up and eat it on his table. But we can also bring bread and corn. See, God, we're all his children. He doesn't eat goats and lambs because they're his children. He's tough. He might do it, you know, but if we come and bring bread and corn and wine, he might sit at our table or his table and we might feast. There's several different opportunities each year to do this. Now, the most obvious ways are the first harvest and the last harvest. That's where we get a whole bunch of stuff. But if you grow food year round, four seasons farming, you have harvest all throughout the year. Another reason is just holidays. Now he told them to have a feast when, to remember that he rescued them from um, Egypt. Big party. Woo! Party with God. Yeah. But they chose to burn it all on his table. Instead of setting a table where God might eat. They chose to burn it. Now there's no guarantee that God will eat with you. But when Messiah is there, God and the Messiah might sit down and eat corn and bread and drink wine twice a day or more. They might, eat, they might eat three meals a day. Food God made. And if you're called and chosen by Messiah the Prince, it's the only way you're going to know, you might one day be invited to eat at God's table. There's not going to be a fire on it. See, he doesn't have wrath on his breakfast we'll put some breakfast there he doesn't burn fire of wrath when he's drinking wine with the Messiah the Prince so there's gonna be no fire now what God shows you here is that Messiah the Prince is so perfect that even on the Sabbath Messiah can do whatever he wants and so he can come in the East Gate that's Ezekiel 46. But you can learn from the Messiah, and one day he might invite you to come through the east gate or through other gates to come on the Sabbath. It's not a sin to come to the temple on the Sabbath. And if you're far away in the world, the Messiah might come and pick you up in a high-speed flying car that can go 20,000 miles an hour with no inertia. And you might go from Northern California to Israel in 10 seconds or eight. Now here they list burnt offerings, burnt offerings, burnt offerings, burnt offerings. Now that is important. It's to teach Israel that what they bring before God is ruined. And it's better that it's burned rather than presented before Him because they ruined it before it got there. They ruined it before they put the seed in the ground. The ground was ruined. The seed was ruined when they touched it. They ruin everything. They do everything wrong. 
If they're going to bring something to God, it's better that they burn it. Because they do it all wrong. But the Messiah might go there every now and then and set that table for breakfast. And if everyone in Israel is there, he might tell everyone in the whole temple, get out. So him and God can sit down in peace for 25 minutes. Ezekiel 47 talks about miracles God's going to do. Now what he's showing you is that no one can heal the Dead Sea. In the first timeline, no one can figure out how God did it. Forever, no one figured it out. But what he's showing you is God can heal the sea. He can heal the desert. He can heal all the land. The, the promised land is big. It's from the river of Egypt to the river Euphrates. It's all of Saudi Arabia. And uh, it's a big desert, but God can heal that. He's showing you he can do it. But you need to stop worshiping false gods and all that weird shit they do in Israel. You've all heard of it. Then he talks about inheriting land. Makes it real clear about the inheritance. God's so excited, he says it twice. Here's a bunch of land for you. They're supposed to stop sinning when Messiah the Prince gets there. So they can have land. Their land can be healed. Abraham's land can be healed. And more. And then one day, they might be acceptable in God's eyes. Stuff they do and say and think. I'm not going to give the whole list. Their heart, their robes. And then they might eat bread with God like the Messiah. Or they might eat bread before the Lord. Or they might realize that every time they eat, He sees it every time. And they stop doing their sins when they eat. So, the question is, why was Ezekiel's temple never built? And the answer is, the Messiah the Prince never came to Israel. See, Messiah has always known from the first day he lived, 6,000 years ago, that every place where God is should be prepared so it's clean and beautiful and perfect and pleasant and that's easy to do see if you're going to prepare a forest for God to go in you go in you remove all the trash and everything that doesn't belong you add in a couple happy families with happy kids running around God might come right there right then if you're going to prepare a, a kitchen he makes you clean up the whole house and get rid of everything there that reminds of sin. See, if you guys have sexual sin, you get all those things out of the house. If you guys have a bunch of uh, Oprah magazines telling you to commit abortion, take those off your fucking table. And if you hate God and in the first moments you lived chose the devil instead, God might not come to your kitchen because if he does, he might strike you down. So to prepare a place, we just remove things that don't belong, but then we add in things that God made. A wooden table and wooden chairs, not plastic. Not because plastic's cheap, but because it's a polysynthetic material that's kind of abomination. It's like made wrong, plastic is. God didn't make plastic, it's when men make things wrong. If you don't know about that, all you can do is believe me. You remove things that don't belong in your house. And you add in good bread, good corn, good wine. Doesn't have to be expensive. 
It's just things God made. See, when I said talk about good wine, what do you guys add in? You talk about the maker of the wine, the vineyard, and that might be just fine. But what's good about it is that God made grapes. God made it rain on the grapes. He provided the water, even if it was pumped in or sprinkled in with a sprinkler system or a drip line. God provided the water. He provided the land to grow the grapes. So he's the winemaker. So Messiah knows you got to prepare people too. You got to know that it all comes from God. All good things come from God. So you might like the winemaker. You might think it's a delicious wine. But everything good about it is what God did. He's always done it. So you give things to God too. And you don't do fake things. If you do fake things, God's not going to probably sit at your table and drink with you. See, when you sit with someone else, they didn't make the grapes. They didn't make the vines grow. But God did. So you give them due appreciation. But there's more. In the earth for the last 2,000 years, a lot of Jews wanted to be called Messiah. They believed that any man could be the Messiah. So God gave them 2,000 years to have their best chance. And for 2,000 years, none of them were worthy. Jesus Christ wanted to be the Messiah. Messiah the Prince and Jesus didn't build the temple. He didn't know how. And you guys don't know this, but him and the Messiah were talking, Messiah the Prince. And he told Jesus Christ to put down the cross. He said, Jesus, if you want to save people from hell, that's power your father's going to give you. You don't need to die on the cross for it. He said, if you're going to save people from death, that's power God's going to give you, the power to raise the dead. Power it looks like he gave you. But you don't need to die on the cross to get it. It looks like you already have it. If you want to be a savior, you do it exactly how God made it. Dying on the cross doesn't save anyone. But ever since Jesus did that, the whole world believes that a man needs to die in order to save someone. So I'm going to ask you a question. If you fall down in a well, Jesus, can, does he ever save you? Can he? And if he can, did he need to die on the cross to do it? Nope. God can give him the power to do that at any time. Dying on the cross had nothing to do with it. Now, if you like all this heart for Jesus stuff, maybe that's fine. But Messiah the Prince told Jesus not to do it. He told Jesus to stay and to finish the work in the earth. He said, Jesus, didn't you come to work? Isn't there more to do? And Jesus said, there's a whole lot more. And Messiah the Prince told him to keep working. But Jesus Christ didn't do what Messiah the Prince said. And then Jesus died. He chose to die on the cross instead. So for all of you that wanted a chance to be the Messiah, you've had it for 2,000 years. Since the time of Daniel. Since the first time you heard the word Messiah. The whole world has had a chance to try to be Messiah the Prince. And when Messiah comes, you're gonna find out. You're gonna find out why he's a fucking legend, and there's no one like him. He's the best, and no one can beat him at anything. 
Not even. Jesus died on the cross, Christ. There's a couple more details about why the temple was never built. Another reason it was never built is because there's no one in the earth that can build it. I, I want to unpack this. There's about 10 or 20 different details. I'll tell you each of them. The first one is that if you knew how to build it, it's not just the construction of wood. You're building a place that's holy, perfect, and clean, and beautiful that also carries the prophecies of the future. The gemstones pressed into the walls are symbolic representations of men and women in the future, meaning that you are men and women of high value, like a gemstone. A gemstone that's small is still of very high value. And so you need to know the prophecies and the symbols and what they mean, and you can learn it and God can teach you. Another part of it is knowing the purpose of the buildings at the temple. There's a big building written in the book of Ezekiel. And the purpose of that building is for angels. The temple of God is a place where angels will come. But they want to do things privately. Believe it or not, there are times when angels want to be with other angels only. And so when they come to the temple, they want to be there when God is there. But they want to do things privately. This might be music, speaking, singing, angel tasks like writing on scrolls, and a wide variety of other things. Prayer. And they're going to want a building for themselves so that building is big. If you knew the purpose of the buildings, then you'd understand the construction. You'd understand why there's paving. It's a reminder that the temple's gonna last more than 6,000 years. And so black asphalt doesn't last that long. It cracks and falls apart. And when it gets hot, the tar melts and it gets uneven. But if you use cut stone, like what's in a lot of houses worth big flat tiles, it'll last longer, a lot longer, maybe. But if you use big pieces of cut stone that are thick, it'll last 6,000 years. And so when we build things for ourselves in the future, we build things that last. It's a lot more work now, but it lasts a long time. And when you're born again and you see that temple, it's a reminder that the work you did when you, when you cut stone to build it was worth it. Because you can be born again there 20 times. And 3,000 years later, it's still the same stones. And when you get everlasting life and you don't die, you can build a house that has a walkway with paved stones. You build things of high quality. You build your house once, you build your walkway once, and both might last more than 3,000 years. It's a teaching. Another reason it was never built it's because you guys only build places for men. Some of you want to build it for Israel. Others want to build it for Christians. Some want to build it for Muslims. But Ezekiel's temple 
is a place for angels also. When you build a place for angels, it's important that it's a very high quality or they won't go. See, they don't want to go to your messy living room where you have all your clothes on the floor. They want to go someplace clean. And so you build it out of rocks and metal because you you can clean those and when they when they're cleaned, you can see it. So at Ezekiel's temple, what they did in the first timeline is they cleaned everything every day. And it looked nice. And angels stood and spoke. And sometimes they sing. Sometimes women sing. Sometimes men sing. And sometimes children sing songs. But this next time, Messiah the Prince is going to go big. He might change the design a little bit. He might build the temple a little bit bigger if he can. He's undecided. But... Um, it's a place for all peoples. See, God made everyone. So if someone chooses to be a Muslim or a Jew or a Christian or a Buddhist or a Hindu, they might feel like they're not allowed at the temple. But everyone's allowed. In fact, you're all invited. But you got to learn how to go and be tolerant of each other is not enough. Just tolerating someone is not enough. If you hate them because they believe God is called Allah, you're wrong. And if you hate them because they believe God is called Brahmin, you're wrong. So Ezekiel's temple wasn't built because of your intolerance. And angels intolerance too. Believe it or not, they're racist in a way. They don't hate black people, hopefully. Some of them do. And they're wrong to do it. But they also hate, the, um, hate their brothers. Among the angels, they have something that's similar to earth races. Men that look different. different. Ophanim, Orphanim, Rathalophim, men that look different. Cephalim, and some of the angels are kind of racist about it. So even the angels don't know how to build it. Because they would build it for themselves and not for someone else. Instead of open gates, they'd put shut bars like a prison. Some of them, not all of them. There's more. The inside of the temple needs to be built like a house. The temple of God is a place where God might do anything. Nobody knows what to expect. And so if it's built well, angels might come with him every time. So it needs to be big inside because he might have a hundred angels with him. And it's unlikely that a hundred angels would fit in that building. So the temple of God is built big on the inside. Vaulted ceilings as much as possible. It's a tall ceiling. And the Messiah, the Prince, knows how to do all this. So if you guys want to learn how to do all this, you can do it the same way Messiah, the Prince did. 
can study God's creation. You can meet his children. So when he's here, you're going to hear angels speak. You're going to see angels. You're going to hear and see angels. Now, another reason it was never built is because you guys can't make peace with the Muslims. In the future, Ezekiel's temple is built where the Mecca is. The most holy place Muslims ever go to. And they all fight over it. So in the past, what happened is Ezekiel's temple was built on the mountain. But that was the first timeline. And this next timeline, it might be different. Ezekiel's temple might be built on any mountain. And the Messiah might decide to keep the mosque as a reminder that while they built that mosque, the whole time that the Muslims used it, God never came there. And he might show them how to make it better. A couple other things happened. The first In the first timeline, Messiah didn't bring all that high technology. What he decided was, in the earth would be better if you guys learned basic lessons. And the truth is, you guys didn't learn very well. He taught a bunch of basic things. He didn't bring future technology. He kept it a secret because uh, Jesus wanted him to. And Jesus wanted to test you guys and make it difficult for you. And Jesus said, see if they can figure it out on their own. But this round, Messiah is not going to buy that bullshit. So when it happens, um, Messiah is going to bring it hard this time. He's going to go big. He's going to bring energy machines that are infinite energy, free electricity. He's going to build the promised land of Abraham and turn it into a paradise. He's going to bring spaceships and flying cars and flying boats that hover over the water. He's going to bring city building equipment that no one's ever seen. He's going to bring a lot of technology and show the whole world that believers aren't stupid. What happened in the first timeline is he did this uh, Jesus way and no one became righteous and the earth was poor. And no one that goes in heaven, men and women that died and went to heaven, didn't want to be born again because they thought living in Israel sucked. So what ended up happening is uh, he ended up um, changing his mind. Since there's a second chance to do it, he's going to do it the way he always wanted to do it. He's going to shame the atheists and the false accusers. He's not going to wait for Jesus to rebuke them or whatever. That's right, Jesus is going to be there the whole time and he is not responsible for the temple being built. Neither are the apostles or anyone else that's raised from the dead in the whole house of Israel. See, they had a chance not only until today, but they had a first timeline chance. And for millions of years, they never figured out how to do these things. They failed. And now their chance at trying to be better than the Messiah is over. He's going to beat them at everything and they're going to learn to be humble the best in the first timeline he waited for the armies of God to beat the armies of the Antichrist and the armies of the devil but this timeline he's not going to wait he's going to exterminate those motherfuckers and kill them where he finds them if he sees them he's going to cut them down dead 
see, after that whole first timeline, the devil gets a second chance to beat the Messiah. So the war isn't going to be the same, and the devil's preparing a different war. But this time, the Messiah is not going to be a fucking gentle and kind person. He's going to be a goddamn patriot from outer space. He's going to come with fleets of spaceships. He's going to cut all the iron in the world in half. And then when there's no one to persecute us or kill us, it's going to be a goddamn party every day. A happy world filled with joy where we can walk in the light of God anywhere he wants to show it. And so you guys, you didn't build Ezekiel's temple because you're not a badass that hunts down evil men. Messiah still was, even though he was gentle in the first timeline, but this second time, he's going to bring it hard. And he's going to drop a hammer on the armies of the Antichrist. One day, he's going to put on that offspring song, Come Out and Play. He's going to tell the whole world, this is the day the devil's been preparing thousands of years for. The war. He's going to play Ice Cube and Buster Rhymes and the whole world's going to hear it. He's going to cut down those armies in less than a day. And the second half of the day is going to be a day of celebration. So there's a lot of joy when that temple's built. God will be here. God our Father. And Messiah is going to rid the world of evil by himself. If you want to help, he might draw a little note that says how to fly his spaceships and let you fly one. And you might get to cut down the armies of the Antichrist at his right side or his left side. He might give you armor like a Mandalorian. And you might fly around the earth with ray guns video game weapons that cut men down dead. Don't make a mistake. Just cut down the evil armies. And then celebration forever. A party that's everlasting. So it was never built because no one knew how. And for some reason God appointed time For everyone to have a chance to do anything better than the Messiah. For that time is up. And the time of the temple is coming soon. And then you might get to come there on high speed transports from anywhere in the world. That travel to the temple of God every day. Any place where God's children are.